This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for September 30th, 2022. Somebody get ready to wake up Billy Joe Armstrong. Your old pal Justin Young here joining you from Austin, Texas. We are, uh, we're, we're, we're locked and loaded here today. We got a conservative women enriched episode. Conservative women. Talk of the town, Georgia Maloney out there in Italy. Do you know how much it takes to get me to care at all about Italian politics? A lot. Well, it takes as many headlines and really, really, really terrible articles that I read about Georgia Maloney this week for me to reach out, reach out to an old friend of mine from way back in our Syracuse days, our daily orange heyday, the Rome Bureau Chief for the Washington Post, Chico Harlan, joins us from Italia. We are also going to talk about Carrie Lake. I mean, all right, so so I got some feedback from you guys on our Wednesday episode, specifically that if Arizona, if I'm throwing Arizona to the Democrats, how am I doing that when at the top of that ticket in Arizona, the chief executive of the state right now, Carrie Lake is beating her Democratic challenger? If I believe that the tiebreaker in Walker versus Warnock is going to be Kemp beating Abrams, then why don't I believe the same in Arizona? And so it led me to look into Carrie Lake. And I got some answers for you. And also, we are going to talk about the electoral vote count law. This was the archaic law that was allegedly uh, looking to be exploited during the whole January 6th fiasco. And uh, we do have an update on the future of the January 6th commission. I know you guys were all waiting with bated breath. Before we get going, though, I, I want to play a clip for you. I'm going to play as many negative ads as I can on this podcast until the midterms. You know I love them. The midterms are unique. There are a few times when campaign ads are as good as the midterms. They might be better than the general. It might be one of the only things that's better than the general because they get a little wilder. Anyway, this one was sent in. It is for a county executive slot. Let's go ahead and play it here. Meet Jessica Fitzwater, the Democrat candidate for county executive. I have white privilege and I'm a racist. Anybody who is a white person in any sort of position of power, um, we have white privilege and we are racist because of the systems in this communities. 
Is this who you want as your Frederick County Executive? Go to therealjessicafitzwater.com to learn more. I have white privilege and I'm a racist. You know, whenever you get into some of those, you know, diversity and equity training things and you are asked to stay stuff on the record, if the tide turns against it or you are trying to animate voters that don't believe in diversity, equity and inclusion training, then this is the stuff that you leave out. You leave out on the dinner table. You left your fridge open and somebody just took a sandwich. There we go. All that. But first. So wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Why is Carrie Lake doing well in Arizona while Blake Masters is sucking? Let's take a look at our Real Clear Politics average. Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, a Democrat, against Carrie Lake, the former television anchor woman. Right now, RCP has Lake up 1.1%. The polls have bounced around. The most recent, Marist has Lake up 3%. Arizona Republic Suffolk has Hobbs up one. Data for Progress has Lake up four. Fabrizio Anzalone has Hobbs up one. So it's close, but comparatively, Mark Kelly is up on Blake Masters 5.5%. So the Democrat up on the Republican by five and a half. Now, if Carrie Lake were not the exact kind of candidate that has been looked at as underqualified and too extreme for the electorate, then you wouldn't be shocked, right? If she were more of an established person. But she's exactly everything I just said. So let's understand Carrie Lake a little bit. She is a very well-known face in the Phoenix area, the largest metro area of Arizona. She is a sprightly local television news anchor who worked in that market for 27 years before resigning in 2021. COVID, the lockdowns, and the 2020 election pivoted her hard into the MAGA crowd, leading to her decision to vamoose from the world of television journalism. And I began to feel that I was contributing to the fear and division in this country by continuing on in this profession. It's been a serious struggle for me, and I no longer want to do this job anymore. So I've decided the time is right to do something else, and I'm leaving Fox 10. I thank Fox for their understanding as I've come to this decision, and I am grateful for the opportunities they provided for me to cover so many big stories over the years. As I close this chapter of my career, there will probably be some hit pieces written about me. Not everyone is dedicated to telling the truth, but thankfully many of you have figured that out. I promise you, if you hear it from my lips, it will be truthful. Only months afterward, she announced her run for governor with no prior experience. And in the primary, she beat the establishment-endorsed candidate that was uh, put up by both the sitting GOP Governor Ducey and the former female 
Republican governor as well. But Lake literally had the Trump card. Terry Lake, I'll tell you, she is incredible. And so the friendly newswoman who still speaks with a newswoman's voice became the animated Facebook feed of MAGA-pilled parrots. The media? Corrupt and anti-American. The 2020 election? Shady and shoddy. Joe Biden, just as much the president as O.J. Simpson is innocent. And by the way, all of these are exactly her words. Like I mentioned at the top, she's exactly the kind of candidate that the Arizona GOP under Kelly Ward, I assumed, would produce. In fact, she's got the exact same pattern of behavior that has earned many of the MAGA Republicans the moniker of quote-unquote, bad candidate. But a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Like I also mentioned up top, Carrie Lake is winning. She's everything that we've been told sinks candidates, including a Republican candidate in her own state. Lake Masters does not have any prior political experience does not have anything close to what would be considered an establishment position, is Trump-endorsed, holds MAGA views. So what is the difference? Well, I'm going to hazard some guesses here. First and foremost, I don't think that you can take 30 years of being in media for granted, especially local media. I think probably everybody, at least above the age of 25, that grew up watching local television broadcasts has some amount of fond memories of the faces that came into your home each and every night. I know I do. Shout out to Dwight Lauderdale on WPLG. Uh, I'm actually watching, <laughs> we we record this Friday episode a little bit early, I, so I'm literally in the background of my, my screen here. I have the constantly updating uh, hurricane radar, which of course makes me think of Brian Norcross, who was the hero specifically of Hurricane Andrew uh, back when I was a kid. I mean, hell, before he had a portal gun with Morty, the only Rick Sanchez that I knew in my life was the anchor of WSVN Channel 7. So even if, and more to the point of the Arizona electorate, specifically because a friendly face becomes somebody that you politically agree with, that is potent, that is important, and she has steered directly into that skid. She is never far away when you when you watch some of the videos of her, of her pivoting into the fact that she used to be a journalist and the industry became corrupt. That is a talking point that every MAGA Republican has. The media is against us. She uses it as an advantage. Number two, the Arizona electorate, according to polls, has two issues tied for their number one concerns. Number one, immigration, and number one, inflation. They're tied. 
That means that even the Democrat Katie Hobbs has to be a border hawk. And indeed she is. She has criticized Carrie Lake for being more bluster than planned. But still, the Republican is always going to beat the Democrat when it comes to the border. That's just that. If you're the Democrat, you can try to mitigate the damage. But if you're dancing to that tune, you're already behind. And then you have inflation. And right now, there's a Democrat in office. And the Democrat has spent a bunch of money. That means that the Republican's going to win on that as well. So let's go back to the Blake Masters thing. Why not just take her playbook? Well, Blake Masters isn't Carrie Lake in terms of having the history in Arizona. But there is another candidate that is like Carrie Lake and is not running a campaign as well as her. Now, I'm not here to tell you that the deserts of Tucson are the same as the rolling hills of Pittsburgh. But I believe that if Dr. Oz were wondering how should I be running my campaign, he could do a lot worse than to look at Carrie Lake, somebody for whom is working with a lot of the same strengths. You got to wonder how many people in Arizona know Carrie Lake's name versus people who like Dr. Oz. In fact, the more I look at the Carrie Lake campaign, the more I think that Oz having as low approval ratings as he does is really an indictment on him not taking advantage of the fact that he was in people's living room. He should not run away from it. He should be saying, I am. You want to know why I should be your senator? John Fetterman keeps saying I'm a shady doctor and I did blah, blah, blah. And uh, look, the fact that I might have done some stuff that is not how I would do it now is only the consequence of doing things, unlike John Fetterman, who hasn't done anything in his entire life. But yes, yes, I should be senator because I'm the guy from television. Because that's what Carrie Lake is doing. Carrie Lake's bona fides are, I know this state, I've covered this state, and I covered politicians, and they did more for their donors than they did for you. From that perspective of being a lady on TV, make me your governor. I think the bedrock political lesson that can be learned from this is your definitions with the electorate are set. The only thing that you can do is either be proud of or ashamed of those priors. And even if they might seem silly, unless you embrace that, then you are not going to be as effective as you could be. Carrie Lake records everything she does. Her hair and makeup are television perfect always. She is the lady from television. And if she keeps doing it the way she's doing it now, She's going to be the next governor of Arizona. Politics, politics. Me, 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 me,
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting this program. If you head to TakePoliticsSeriously.com, you can be part of uh, the crew that makes this show possible. Sign up at our $3 tier and you get two bonus episodes each and every month, month, week. Screw a month, a week. Two episodes every week. And we're about to enter into October. Oh, do you really want the October surprise to pop off on a Wednesday night? That's after we record this Friday episode. And that news ain't going to be fresh by the time that we get to the next Wednesday's episode. Well, guess what? If you're at the $3 club and just for this month, right? All right. So, so do five weeks, five weeks between now and election day on the midterms. That is $15, $15 for $15. You get two bonus episodes when you need them the most, when these uh, elections are twisting and turning, when the gaffes happen, when the gigantic polls happen, when it all happens, you get the news when you need it. Andrew Heaton loves to use this example. If I got in your car four times a week on your way to work and we just talked, just talked, talked about politics. And I told you everything I was thinking about politics. And then I got out of your car on one of those four trips. Would it be okay if you just bought me a cup of coffee? One, one $3 cup of coffee. If that seems like a fair deal to you, then I would ask you to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And in this case, just think about giving me a $15 gift card. Because that means right up until election night, you're going to get all that bonus content. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Cocaine Mitch McConnell says he will proudly support the Senate bill to reform the Electoral Count Act. All right. How do we do the reset on this? Uh, Back when Donald Trump's apple dumpling gang of Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani were trying to find the hidden hacker portals on the Dominion voting machines. There was a thought amongst the Trump circle that the Electoral Count Act could be used to stop the certification of the election. It is an arcane rule that effectively allows for there to be a replacement of electors. There's not a lot of consensus on whether or not it would have worked. We're also at the point of constitutional crisis at that point, but still there was thought to be this loophole, a loophole that was not exploited. We should say Mike Pence decided to certify the election and all the Congress people and senators that were, uh, (laughs) 
that were that were sponsoring uh, uh, objections or whatever, which happens all the time. But this time it was a little bit different. And then it was stopped in the middle of it by the January 6th riots. That now is going to be sewn up. So that's good. I'm glad, uh, 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 you know, it, it seemed like the system held in in 2020. But, hey, close calls is a close call. I'm glad that there's going to be bipartisan report to reform the Electoral Count Act. And by the way, according to polls, there is a majority of Americans that support it. You know, for whatever that means. I mean, I don't know how many Americans know what the hell the Electoral Count Act was. Speaking of January 6th, the panel, which has been on hiatus since its hearings in the summer, will continue. Uh, They were supposed to continue this week. In fact, they're supposed to continue the day that I'm recording this on Wednesday, the 28th. But... They are delaying it because of Hurricane Ian hitting Florida. I I was disappointed by that decision just because I would have really, really, really loved to see 24-hour news networks ignore a hurricane hitting Florida so they could air the January 6th hearings. I mean, you guys know my position on this. I, I, you know, now the issue is Liz Cheney is saying that they're, they've got information from the Secret Service's uh, phones. I, I, I just, you know, hold your breath. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But it also appears that this thing is not even going to be done by the midterms. It is going to run right up until the end of this Congress in the winter, and then it is going to release its report around then. So, <laughs> I mean, number one, everybody who said that this thing was going to run up until the midterms is wrong. It's going to run through the midterms. And number two, you know, I guess I'll always keep an open mind to this stuff, but uh, it's just. It's just hard to believe that I'm going to see anything that's that's crazy. I mean, right now we have secondhand stories about Trump in the car. And I do really enjoy the visuals of him throwing spaghetti, (laughs) being a real messy boy and throwing spaghetti. But I don't know. It it doesn't seem very... uh, uh, Very explosive to me, but you never know. Liz Cheney, by the way, at the Texas Tribune Festival here in Austin, said that she would campaign against election deniers like Carrie Lake, supporting the Democrat. Which I think is probably the greatest get out the vote uh, (laughs) effort that Liz Cheney could do for Carrie Lake. So we'll see. This got us thinking about politicians in this country who dare to tell the truth and are attacked for it. And Carrie Lake was at the very top of that list. She's running for governor in the state of Arizona, and she joins us tonight. Carrie Lake, thanks so much for coming on. So you were one of the very first American politicians to weigh in on this election. You were paying attention, which I appreciated. What do you make of this? I'm so excited. You know, it's funny. I looked looked this uh, Italian uh, Ms. Maloney up uh, when I heard about her about a week ago, and I couldn't find any 
just straight up information on her. Everything was she's a fascist, she's a, a racist, she's this, she's that. And I thought, wow, this is somebody who I can relate to because they're doing the same thing about me. And it, it makes me yes. realize that if they're not calling you all of these slurs, if they're not attacking you, then you're probably not truly representing the people of your country. That is Carrie Lake on the Tucker Carlson show talking about Georgia Maloney, which leads us to our next topic, the rise of Georgia Maloney to prime minister of Italy. Like I said at the top, I did not expect to talk Italian politics on this show. I did not want to talk about Italian politics. And yet the Maloney news became omnipresent this week as headlines linking her to Mussolini and fascism overtook my timeline. Here to talk to us about all of this is Rome bureau chief for the Washington Post and part of the Daily Orange alumni cabal, along with myself, Chico Harlan. Welcome to the show, Chico. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. I really appreciate it. Happy to talk to you about Italian politics. This is exploded. I, in in the time that you have, how long have you been out there in in Italy uh, covering four years. covering stuff for the post? Four, years. So four posts. This, so this is. By far the biggest amount of American interest in, in local Italian politics, right? Well, I missed the Berlusconi period. So okay. I, I, that might have been a higher point um, in some periods, because when you when you uh, put together sex and scandal, that does that outdoes almost anything else. But um, but in the time I've been here, there have been there will now have been four governments. And yeah, I think I think the needle is at a at a high point, though, when I started, I mean, it's just easy to forget things. But when I started, Italy had had just sworn in a, a anti or I would say like a um, anti-migrant populist government that mm -hmm. was at the time being called the, the first fully populist government in Western Europe since World War Two. Almost similar language to what you're hearing now. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing went Boston. People forgot that it ever existed. Um, <laughs> and it was over. It was over in less than a year and a half, all because of the reasons that. Italian politics coalitions always fall together, just fall, always fall apart. But, you know, they did they did have some explosive moments while they were in power. And um, and maybe maybe there's some dots. There surely are some dots that connect between that party coming together after after an election and what's happening now that's kind of carrying Maloney into becoming the prime minister. Before we get into Maloney specifically, because I think that there's a lot that we can dig into on on why this uh, has has exploded the way that it has. I know I have my theories. Can can we just get a primer on what is the system of Italian government, uh, uh, the, the the parliamentary system, and why has it been so chaotic over the last well, you know, several decades, if not longer? More, more. I mean, Italy has yeah. had close to seventy governments since the end of the war, so. That that means that the average the average government is lasting just barely more than a year. Um, there have been periods when certain parties had stability for long periods of time, but surely um, over the last uh, twenty years, there's been a, an enormous fragmentation, and and that has that has been one of the complicating factors. Complicating factor number two is just the the underlying conditions in the country economically. Um, you know, Italians are a little better off than they were 30 years ago, which is astonishing. Most other countries in Europe have continued to grow, maybe slowly, but they've, they've grown. Italy really hasn't. Italy has, has suffered. Um, and young people 
suffer extraordinarily to find opportunities in Italy, despite all the ideas of, that Americans have of Italy being a paradise, which if you're a visitor, it is a paradise, but it's a hard place to thrive professionally. Um, so there, there is that, that's part of the brew. And, and then there's, there's just the fact that the fact that, um, you know, this parliamentary system, everything is indirect. So the prime minister is not directly elected. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia Maloney did not win the election. Nobody voted for her. They vote for parties to fill the parliament. And then there's a president who, whose name is very, um, not his, his name is not well known outside of Italy, but he is basically like a, a, a referee in times of political turnover, in times of official political crisis. And he is the one who would give the mandate to the person that he judges to have the, the best chance of forming a government. And um, and in this case, it will be Maloney almost certainly. But he has had the opportunity to create coalitions, to build, to pick surprise candidates. And after elections, when things fall apart and it looks like Italy has no choice but to go back to new elections, time and time again, the country has been able to rejigger, form new alliances. The parties change their priorities. They put aside rivalries and and stave off new elections in these basically in these backroom deals. So there is voter fatigue about that process. There's skepticism about whether the parties follow through on their words because they always seem to be mostly interested in clinging to power with whatever deals keep them there. And, uh, and so that all combinations have been, have been tried and done in, in recent Italian history. Um, and votes are actually rare. Votes are supposed to happen every, every five years. <laughs> <laughs> And amazingly, Italy did go almost five years between since its last election. Um, it had an election in March 2018. Now it had this one, which was, quote unquote, early by a couple months um, because one final government led by Mario Draghi collapsed and they weren't mm-hmm. able to to patch things back together. Well, let me yeah, um, let me let me ask you that, because you made the point that the president uh, gets to referee in times of political upheaval, which I'm guessing in, in Italy is to use a backyard football reference, kind of an all time quarterback position, because there's a, there's a lot of it there. Yeah, it's uh, not a bad way to call it. But you had uh, just recently a the, what, what set up this particular election was a a a big kerfuffle where a coalition government was disbanding, but then the president sent them back to try to make it work and, and, and it didn't work. Can you explain that a little bit? Right. It already feels like, you know, sometimes I realize I write stories about Italian politics that seemed enormous at the time. And a year later, I don't even remember writing about them. (laughs) Um, I didn't even remember that, that event X happened because things just changed so quickly, but you're right. Um, so, all right. So the background, you know, just to explain this very, very, uh, basically, because it requires a basic explanation. So Mario Draghi, what was is still the caretaker. He was he's been the prime minister of Italy for a year and a half. He was not elected. He was picked by the president during a prior government collapse mm-hmm. um, at the time when the pandemic was in a very acute stage. He was basically pulled off of uh, the bench. Yeah, but he'd always been this kind of idealized dream candidate. He had been Europe's top central banker for a while. He's often credited with saving the euro. He he's a, I think I think it's safe to call him a centrist. Um, mm-hmm. And he's a, he's an impressive figure who a large proportion of of Italy 
backs in in some way. They find him to be reputable and credible. So he was he was brought in, and Italians were thinking, finally, we have this guy that we can we can admire and who who pulls out the best of Italian attributes. He kind of succeeded. Um, most of the parties, every party but Maloney's, decided to back him. Mm-hmm. And he all of a sudden had this unity government, almost unity government, that did a lot of impressive things and a few controversial things. But mostly, I, I think I think most of the analysts I've talked to feels feel like Draghi was doing about as well as you can in running a complicated country. Um, but he was undone for the same reasons that that everybody else was. His his coalition um, started arguing. And uh, and then maybe they were just too big to ever succeed for a long period because each party needed to stand out and make their differences known. And so by the summer, it basically looked like it was all sputtering to an end. Parties were getting louder for I need this. I need that. And um, and kind of without getting into all the details, yeah. it came apart at the seams. And uh, and they, the, the, the blood was so bad that there was no way for the parties in any combination to stitch things back together with Draghi or with anybody else. So we go to elections and lo and behold, while Draghi was leading the country, the party that was growing in popularity was the only one that was in opposition. Fratelli d'Italia by Giorgio Maloney. Yeah. So brothers of Italy in, in uh, uh, English there. Brothers Uh, of Italy. So from the Italian perspective, we're, we're going to get to the, the perspective from the rest of the world looking into Italy. But in Italy right now, what are the central planks of Brothers of Italy? Like, what are they promising? What are they in opposition to? OK, they are. They're promising, I mean, a bunch of things. They're they're like every party. They have a long platform of of ideas. It's hard to know which ones would would are, are feasible or not. but. I think I think you can basically summarize it as on migration, cracking, cracking down more on on undocumented arrivals mm-hmm. um, in Europe, being being more strident about standing up for Italian interests. And they think that Italy has been kind of too subservient to the axis of, of Germany and France. Um, and and so maybe playing a little bit more of a of a wild card role on topics of, of that where normally Italy would just go ahead with the group. So yeah, can um, we, can we uh, unpack that a little bit? Because I do think that whenever I pay attention to European politics, there, there is always this almost undercurrent of the, the much in the same way that, that holding together any kind of unity government in a parliamentary system is hard. Holding together the European Union is something that is that is uh, constantly requiring uh, uh, various different pieces of maintenance. What is uh, uh, Italy's perspective on what they feel like they have gone or at least the brothers of Italy party that they have gone along with too easily with with the EU controlled by France and Germany uh, or or what they want changed? Okay, it's it's actually hard to get answers that are consistent from one person to another and in Fratelli d'Italia. Okay. Um, so let's think about where, what the points of tension could be. I mean, I guess energy could be one. Sanctions mm-hmm. could, sanctions could be one though. Maloney seems to back Ukraine pretty, pretty heavily. There's other parts of her government that, um, that don't, you know, they're, they're, they complain about, about mergers that happened under the auspices of the EU where Italian companies were shortchanged. They complain about bureaucratic rules. Um, it can get deep in the weeds really fast. Um, but you're right. The, the Europe 
is a kind of delicate alchemy. And right now there's surely a couple countries, Eastern European ones, most notably Hungary, that that do have this natural skepticism towards the central ideas of the European Union, which are like mm -hmm. integration, working together and not erasing national lines, but but having a common shared set of platform of values and objectives that make the block function with continuity. And um, and it's on that sort of great greatest philosophical point that Maloney seems to be most vocal that a Europe that looks the same from north to south, that has the same values from east to west is not the Europe that she wants to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't see exactly where that immediately turns into a policy or a period of tension, but it very well, you could imagine how it would because, because inherent to that idea is that, okay, I'm going to be thinking about what's good for Italy, not what's good for, for Europe. Um, if you go back to the pandemic, there was this moment of, of great triumph and rejoicing in Brussels where the, the 27 member states agreed to a big, basically a rescue package for the southern economies, which were the hardest mm -hmm. hit by the pandemic, including Italy. Italy was the biggest recipient of this, of this, uh, of this bailout and got an enormous amount of money. And, and it basically saved the economy from an even deeper recession and a longer recession. Now, this was seen at the, at the time as being sort of like a triumph because it showed how Europe could work together. Yeah. Um, but if you have 27 states that are only thinking, OK, what am I going to get out of this? Then that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so it start. So if you have a, a leader like Maloney and Orban in Europe, I, big ideas start to become harder. If you have Maloney, Orban and a few other people like them, then then. Europe starts to not really work as we're used to seeing it. So there, that's where like the rubber meets the road yeah. and, um, and it maybe doesn't change overnight, but, but it becomes, it becomes this thing that you have to kind of measure six months from now, a year from now and see, and see if Maloney's changing things, if how much, how combative Italy is. Um, and, and also if she's succeeding, whether that's opening the door for other like-minded parties and politicians in other countries. It's all a big question mark, but that's kind of the place to be looking. And that that seems to me from the meta perspective to be the story of Europe right now, specifically post-Brexit, uh, uh, that, that there seems to be a lot of eyes and a lot of uh, concern on exactly the health of where the European Union is. Before we move on from it, though, you mentioned with COVID, there was a gigantic bailout package that came to the southern economies. Uh, this is just something that I I don't know where I've I found. So disabuse me of this if it's untrue. But from my perspective, the southern economy, specifically Greece and Italy come to mind, seem to be more financially dependent on on the European Union uh, because their economies have not functioned in the same way. Is is that correct? Well, I mean, the sort of ground zero for some of the tensions towards Europe came from came from the financial crisis of what, 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and if you'll remember, Greece was always on the throes of, of, of insolvency yeah. and required these series of, of bailouts from, from Europe, but basically in the eyes of Southern Europeans from Germany under very, very harsh terms that were damaging. And I think most economists now realize that they were probably too, too austere 
mm-hmm. to really let the country bounce back quickly. And so there is this sentiment that remains in, definitely in Greece, but also it's carried over to other parts. You know, Italy was also a, a tenuous for a while that that the overlords of Europe, um, yes. the big powers in Germany aren't looking out for anybody but themselves. And that Southern Europe is always going to be seen as sort of the poor problem child um, and will always be be kind of treated as as a second class citizen whether that's true or not you know leave that to, to yeah. the hive mind but uh <laughs> but surely politically that's still a relevant sentiment yeah and it's with that backdrop that we can now come to uh miss maloney who became an overnight international sensation i i, I had uh never heard of georgia maloney until earlier this week when all of a sudden uh a it appeared that her name, at least in the headlines that I was reading, was Georgia Maloney, the most far right politician to be elected to Europe since Mussolini uh, uh, and then possibly a neo or proto fascist thrown in there, which even for Italians would be a long name. Uh, uh, where does she come from uh, uh, as a politician and what has her reputation been up until this uh, uh, crowning achievement? OK, so she's she's not really new. Um She's just new to to the people who aren't paying attention yes. to Italy with granular detail. So that's that's most of the world. Um, she she is she is somebody who I think it's fair to say has kind of had her foot occasionally in in mainstream parties. She was a part. She was I think the youngest cabinet member in Italian government government history in a Berlusconi government. Um, but for the last 10 years, she's been she's been the the, the leader of this Brothers of Italy party, um, which is often referred to as a post fascist party. So let's let's pause there for a second and go yeah. slowly. So why are they post fascist? I mean, and, and what, what exactly does that mean? Because I think that that? there's a lot of things that would be described as post fascist in a positive way. But post fascist here right. seems to have Actually, a different context. Actually, Italy is post-fascist. Yes, you know. Um, so yes, the term is a little is a little bit uh, overwrought and used as a barb. But but in a sense, it's literally true. Kind of in that. Okay, so after Mussolini was um, was toppled, and then after he was he, he was killed, um, Italy was starting over, and there were still a fraction of of his supporters that uh, were trying to carry on some of his political ideals mm-hmm. and started a party. This party was, uh, was created right after the war. It was around for decades, um, at least based on its, its uh, success or lack thereof in, in votes. It never, it never really cracked. It never got more than single digits, but it was um, from what I've been told allowed to carry on because it allowed all the other parties to rail against fascism and look tough. Yeah. So, they were there. They were there and they were left to do their thing. That party then into the early 90s collapsed um, or or, you know, for, I think there was a degree of infighting. I don't know every bit of, of this, but essentially there were then there was then a successor party and then another and then and then Maloney's party. And they have six, those successor parties that often absorbed some of the people mm-hmm. um, have gradually and clearly moved towards the mainstream on their policies. You know, they're not carrying on Mussolini's policies. 
Um, yes. So, and people from her party will say, well, if you're going to call us post-fascist, you have to call the left post-communist because it's no different, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a rhetorical debate that doesn't translate much into anything meaningful. And I, I think that the, that Italian voters weren't really interested in the debate after, after a day or two, um, weren't, uh, and it shows because the left was very much running like a debate based on like, okay, we are for not just rights, but we are on the side of, of not, not, um, reestablishing anything linked to fascism. Oh, so, th- so this was a part of this particular election. The, the, the leftward parties were, were, were running on the, the left- idea that this is a scary moment in history and you need to back yeah. away from it. They very much were focused on a, like, like kind of with Biden, um, against Trump. Yes. An idea like better us, way better us than, than them, way better us than him, uh, or her in this case. So, but I don't think it really worked. And Maloney early in the campaign released a, an interesting video in, in not in Italian, interestingly enough. So her audience might've been overseas. She, she spoke you know, five to 10 minutes in English and Spanish and French, um, basically disavowing the link to fascism, saying it had been buried to history years, years ago. Um, and then basically attacking the meat, the left-wing media. And like, yeah. if you're hearing otherwise it's on them. Um, and, and she was saying, look, under my leadership, if it happens, Italy is not in some jeopardy of being destabilized. We're not going to take some authoritarian turn. I think she had her eyes on on people um, with power in Europe, in D.C., with that kind of messaging. So uh, so she did that. And I, I think that's kind of where the fascism debate stopped a little bit um, in Italy. That was not topic number one heading to the polls. Well, over here, she has uh, uh, certainly sparked the the uh, or. or uh, excited the fault line between our own political dichotomy, which is the reason why I think we've talked about her so much in America, because as you well know, America's really just interested in the rest of the world when we can see ourselves in the reflection. And so there were many people on the right that were like, oh, look, another exciting young leader that is standing up for for uh, uh, nationalist values. And and uh, the the clip of her talking about being a Christian and a mother and, and not being and not having her identity erased very much resonating. It sounded very much like like a, like a CPAC, uh, CPAC speech, which I I. Uh, now understand that she did speak at CPAC. CPAC. So you had uh, her speeches circulating on the right because she's now this exciting figure. And on the left, it was the fall of Europe that that this, uh, along with, I believe, Sweden just had a, a rightward leading uh, a government uh, on the heels of Brexit. The idea of the EU being in peril, specifically when uh, uh, everything's happening in Ukraine with, with Russia. This is something that is very, very terrifying to some folks, but it it was a specific kind of one to one, much in the same way that Brexit was, where it's, you know, Trump equals Maloney. Uh, uh, obviously, all politics are local and they only get more local when you cross the Atlantic. Uh, but is this something that in, in any way will be welcomed by the Italian parties? How much do uh, how much does, does the eyes of the West matter to the brothers of Italy or anybody else that would look to take them down? OK, well, just so hold on a second. So um, 
I did also get the sense that this was a big deal to to Americans um, and to people who felt like this left versus right yes. battle was playing out here and there was a chance for like score pointing in the global. Oh yeah. Valley. Um, the stakes, the stakes in American politics are just so much higher than they are in Italian politics. Um, I would say that, you know, the stakes are also higher in French politics and German politics than they are in, in Italian politics. Um, for the simple fact that American American leaders have a much easier chance of changing the country in huge ways than Italian leaders do. It's just hard for any leader, no matter how wise or kooky to get their arms around the country. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we probably both remember what, what it felt like in the U.S. before the 2016 election, before the 2020 election, people's hearts were in, in a knot. Um, and it felt like the future of the country was at stake. Um, here, you know, (laughs) did anybody think that anything was going to change for good, for better or worse? Like there were some Instagram posts of concern about, you know, I, I shouldn't downplay the threat that Maloney poses to people who think that their rights might be rolled back. Like for LGBT people, for certain minorities, like they're worried about her. Um, but I think people that really understand the Italian system have more of a wait and see approach. Um, and, and they, you know, like I was talking to my neighbor the day, the night of the, the night after the vote, after I'd written one more story and he just, you know, he told me what party he voted for the five stars, but like, it was like, you know, uh, so be it. Let's see. Let's see. Everybody, every party has had their chance to govern. Every party has kind of failed in the time since Trump one in 2016, there have been like four or five different darlings of Italian politics who've all <laughs> risen and seemed like the future and crashed and burned. Yeah. And um and and you know, Maloney wasn't even supposed to be the far right champion of of Italy. The 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 cards were teed up a few years ago for that for Matteo Salvini to be yeah. the far right prime minister. He he was the one that 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 Steve Bannon came out and and worked with, right? Yeah. So now now people are like, oh, Bannon, Bannon and Maloney. There there are photos on social media, but but Steve Bannon, in looking at uh, at Europe, Matteo Salvini was his like chosen one. That was his dude. Yeah, um, that was his dude. And Matteo Salvini for a while was a was the Interior Minister of Italy and was like very very vocally blocking these uh, migrant boats or not even mm-hmm. migrant boats. NGO boats that would rescue migrants from the Mediterranean from entering Italian ports. And it was very, it was a huge show. And while he was doing that, he took his party from about 15% to almost 35% support, which is a lot in Italy. If you go to yes. 35, you're really doing amazing. Yeah. Um, and then it all crashed and burned. He, he, it became clear that he was a one trick pony and, and didn't have many more, um, values to stand on and he has gradually shed that that support and guess who's gotten it maloney Maloney. um so the far right has been at like 40 percent in italy for a good long while now um 
and and the the reason that that this opportunity is breaking now is because number one there was an election and number two um the the cards were kind of stacked just right for them to take advantage of it electorally which is no small thing it's super boring but this was an election where the right parties salvini's and maloney's were joined up mm-hmm. as a coalition which is a huge thing in a in a fragmented system they also were were joined by one other party silvio berlusconi's party which is kind of a skeleton but it carries like 8% of the right wing old people in the country okay. so two far right forces and and then kind of a a more right center like the remains of a, of a once relevant party all tied together and then they were battling against the left which was cut this way that way and and was fuming and infighting still based on anger and debates that were unresolved that brought down Draghi so they had a they had a huge built-in advantage here they rolled to victory electorally yeah. but the country is not um firmly backing them uh in the way that the seats in parliament would suggest and you know based on what what i felt from talking to polling like people at polling stations even the people that are voting for her weren't like a hard in um it's just so different from the trump movement where you yeah. know that they're going to be behind him no matter what like the voters who are voting for maloney don't necessarily have confidence they'll be behind her in a year so and and that and that, that seems to be par for the course when it comes to Italian politics in general, considering yeah. how many times coalitions have fallen apart and prime ministers have risen and fallen. But so you don't think about that when you see that the far right has come to power like for the first time since Mussolini. But <laughs> I, I do think that all that stuff matters because yeah. because the odds that it ends up being like some sort of epochal event are are lesser than it would be if it happened in France. Or in the U.S. Yes, yes. I also. Uh, I mean, think... it's already happened in, in the U.S. to a degree, but I think the biggest question for everybody now is like, does Marine Le Pen become the French president, and does anything Maloney do? Does anything Maloney do, like? Does Maloney's success or lack thereof make it easier or harder for the French to believe that Le Pen could could be effective? That yeah. that would be the real domino here, and that would be a much bigger deal than than Maloney becoming leader of Italy. I certainly think that there are a lot of very, very real consequences for Europe based on these kinds of decisions. And like you mentioned, if there are further dominoes that fall, uh, I do think that that, you know, uh, we're we're in a bit of a a, a bit of a bit of a shallow area for for news. We're coming out of uh, summer midterms are heating up. So I feel like this was this was a a, a, a little Italian treat for us to uh, uh, freak <laughs> out about. And and we're going to we're going to move on from it. One last thing I do want to talk to you about Maloney. It seems as if she is at least as she has gotten this moment in the sun, a bit of a cult of personality. There have been me anime memes that I've seen. Apparently she's a, a big Lord of the Rings fan. There was a Instagram post of her holding melons to her chest, uh, uh after, uh, uh yeah. she, she won. So, so just give me, give me a primer on, on, uh, whether Georgia Maloney has a cult of personality and is that normal in Italian politics or is she a bit of a character even for that world? Um, I think it's a little strong to call her a cult of personality, but I think she is, she is an effective politician in, in that, um, she has that sort of seeming veneer of authenticity. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it, it could, it could be, it could be, um, 
not as much of a, of a play act as you often get. She, she's just a fun person to listen to. If you put the ideas aside, if you just look at her body language and the yeah. way that she conducts herself, she rants and she jokes and she makes fun of people. And she, she does um, have this, have this, like her voice rises and falls. Um, and a lot of the time her manner is like just of being a little fed up at the yeah. silliness of Italy. And, um, and that is definitely something that almost anyone who lives in Italy feels sometimes. I think she hones in on that part pretty well. Uh, and you're right. She does like on social media, she very much like has this, like she'll, she'll quote Maroon five um, <laughs> Lord of the rings in between tw- like tweets talking about like the crimes of, of immigrants yeah. and, uh, and like bashing, you know, this, that, and the other. And then she'll post a photo of her daughter. Um, you know, she, she has like a, a, her accent, you know, like a strong Roman accent. Like even the way she, she doesn't look like one of these polished people. Um, she, she's not, she's not as polished. You know, she didn't, she's not from some elite background. Her father uh, took off when she was a tiny kid. And like, she grew up with her mom. Uh, she accidentally burned down her mom's house when she was like somewhere around eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, she shared a photo of her mom, which was very interesting and kind of moving. Like her mom, her mom is, or was like extremely obese. And Maloney mm-hmm. herself as a kid was obese. She talks about how she used to get made fun of, you know, there's like a lot of interesting things to her. Um, it sounds like a but, cult of personality, Chico. I'm, I gotta say, hey, no, it's not. It's okay to be in, like, but I don't think it's a cult of personality because I don't, I don't think that um, it's it's not going to be like the the Arirán games in North Korea where like stadium is out for her. No, uh, no, 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 know, no, raising, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I mean, for, I mean more more on our on our political scale of like, all right, if you're interesting then you're a cult of personality. If you're boring, then you're a regular oh, politician. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the prime minister before, um, be, like Draghi was not an interesting character, yeah. but he was a very, he was a very calm steward of the country before him was, was Giuseppe Conte, who is like a nice dresser, but very, very bland. Yeah. Um, and kind of low on, on charisma. Then uh, who was there before him? Like, you know, some of the names are, are completely forgotten. Enrico Letta, Paolo Gentiloni. These are all people, Matteo Renzi. These are all people who, who led Italy in the last t- 10 years. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they are a little bit, they do kind of blend together. So Maloney stands out. She's also obviously a woman, which we haven't talked about the, the exceptional aspect of that. But, but Italy is definitely not an easy country politically for women. Um, mm-hmm. So she she also represents kind of this fresh face. I think she was probably strategically chosen too uh, as leader of, of Brothers of Italy because she she kind of just very very by na- by the nature of of standing out as a woman um, makes kind of this this psychological break from from the past from the voice from the faces and voices you were used to associating with the far right. Um, so that that whether that's you call that sanitization or just, you know, savvy politics, I think that that is at least one small factor in why she's has this opportunity now. All right. Last question. and I'll get you out of here. In, in, in another life, you and I used to truck down to South Campus, uh, Syracuse University and watch Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> games because they had the Sunday ticket package. This has been a, a exceptionally dismal season, at least through three it's games. When when does Kenny Pickett start? 
Okay, so I was looking at the schedule. It, they they have the Jets. The, they have the, when's this podcast coming out? Soon, right? Uh, Friday, Friday. So it'll be before Friday. before the Jets game. All right. So I understand why they're not starting him now because they have a killer schedule coming up. I think you got to give give him like mid season. Um, and it's gonna get hold. loud. It's gonna get loud. Those receivers are good. And, and they are, they, we, we are already seeing the like hands on hips. Death I don't know. Stairs. What do you think? What do you think? It's going to be, if Mitch doesn't beat Mitch needs to beat the jets and Tomlin, I, I agree with you. I think that they want to get through this schedule, the, 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 the hell of this schedule and then probably turn the team over to him. But Mitch has got to help Tomlin out and he's got to beat the jets. Cause if he doesn't beat the jets, it's going to get, it's going to get loud in Pittsburgh. Well, you real, know, when real I quick. saw that Italy announced the, uh, the elections for a Sunday, it was always going to be on a Sunday, but I immediately measured it against the Steelers schedule. And I was yeah. relieved that the Steelers weren't also playing. So I didn't have to be distracted. But then after <laughs> they lost to the Browns on Thursday night, I was kind of upset that, that I had to watch that and couldn't yeah. let it get lost inside my, my news gathering on election day, because it's, you know, it could be a dreadful, it could be, you know, probably since the time that, that we went to college, it could be yep. their worst year. And, and, you know, why are you, why do you have Mitch Trubisky if he's not going to run, run him, like, like run it, him into the ground. We don't care. He's like, like a rental car. Just, just, you know, uh, 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 scrape it against the side of the the highway walls. Who cares? I, I really, I, I really do say my ire for the play for the offensive coordinator, even more than Trubisky, yeah, but that's true. The, the two of them, the two of them are not welcome at my house for, for a pasta dinner anytime soon. No. Kenny Pickett, you can come over anytime while you're Kenny. on the bench. Kenny! <laughs> Save us, ready. Kenny! I, yeah. I mean, what do I want? I want him to be the quarterback on Sunday. Yes. I want to have a reason to, to watch the Steelers, even if they're one and six, you know, and I would watch every minute if Pickett is the, is the starter. I, I I would watch a a jugs machine just fire the ball to uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Pickens uh, uh, eleven times a game. Just throw it as hard as you can and let him make a play. He is insane. He is he is yeah. uh, uh, Michael Irvin meets uh, uh, Odell Beckham. He's he's just a freak. I'm I'm ready. If if he if he even is a B minus this year. Uh, people will go nuts. Even yeah. if he's like a C plus, people will go nuts because they'll project the best things. You never know, but it's exciting to have a a rookie, and he's not that young. You know, no. he's not twenty one. He's I think he's already twenty four. So yeah. you know, next two years from now he'll be twenty six years old. Let's That's go. Already, like, let's go. Let's get this guy out. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, uh, Chico Harlan has been our guest. Of course, he is the Rome bureau chief for the Washington Post. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day in uh, in Rome and and uh, explaining this to us. Only time I'm too busy is during the Steeler games at 2 a.m. So <laughs> any other time I can talk oh, about. I didn't even talk. I didn't even process that. But like those those crap those crap offensive series have to hit so much worse when it's three o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. No, no, no. I mean the, the one o'clock games are at seven. So that's like okay. totally perfect. But the the Thursday night game, you know. Waking brutal. up in the brutal. middle of the night being like, oh, it's 14, 13 and a half time. Like I should go turn on the game. And then I do. Yeah. And then I'm just like, why? Why did I why lose two hours of sleep for, for that? Thank you so much, Chico. All right. Enjoyed it. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. Do me a favor, guys. I'm going to ask you guys just very specifically a favor here. 
Chico went out of his way. We scheduled across the Atlantic to make this happen. He is a dear old friend who I used to spend my Sunday mornings with watching Steelers games in the the, the South Campus Food Hall because it's the only place that had NFL Sunday ticket. Do me a favor and shower him with love. Let him know that you really appreciated him giving you the context on this story that was covered so poorly through other media outlets. Hit him up right now. Letter P, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. That is PX3, guest.com. The Young American at gmail.com is where you send your email to the show. Follow the show itself on Twitter at PX3 tweets. Find me live on the internet, px3live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. You can support us with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. My Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. I don't know who this was. But one of y'all, without a, a name on the package, sent me a NASA sticker and what looked to be coasters from NASA. If you've sent me that, thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course, the only way you can get our bonus content is takepoliticsseriously.com. Again, that is takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Andres, Matt, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield Pinball Shop. DP4 Bongo, Catherine Todd, persons familiar with the matter, invoke Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select start. Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandia, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana's Turn 2, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, D-Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Who Loves Frank, Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name read on the show? Oh, it's so simple. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at that $10 tier. Uh, for, For those of you who are asking... Uh, on Twitter, at least as of now, while I'm recording this, my family is safe uh, in in Florida. I got a, a bunch of people in South Florida and the Fort Lauderdale area. That's looks to be spared, at least at this moment from the uh, from the storm. My family in Orlando is going to get pelted. Shout out to our friend of the show, Sarah Rumpf, who is in Orlando. I'm sure that she is all uh, all hunkered down. But. uh Everybody who is in the West Coast of Florida and specifically Fort Myers, if I got any Fort Myers people, any Port Charlotte people, 
any Cape Coral people, Sarasota, any of that Gulf Coast, that Southern Gulf Coast area, uh, uh, just know my thoughts are with you. I know y'all are for, uh, Floridians. Hurricanes ain't nothing. Everyone's going to get through this. Uh, please be safe and uh, 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 weather this as 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 well as you can. But uh, this will always be a Florida show because I am a Florida man. Till next time. Please remember that there are some shows that discuss politics, others that discuss politics, and still more that discuss politics, but this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.